Hi, and welcome to Madness to Magic and my podcast, I'm with Crazy, a love story. I'm your host, Paulina Milana, author of The S Word. This show is for those of us who find ourselves surrounded by madness and wanting to find the magic within. We're going to come together here as caregivers to those who have been diagnosed with a mental illness. Maybe it's someone in the family we've been born into. Maybe it's someone we love. Maybe it's someone we work with. Maybe even it's ourselves. Whether we've been thrust into this caregiver role or taken it on by choice, this podcast is where we're going to share our stories and learn to realize the magic in all the madness we may have been experiencing. I promise you, it can be done. So let's get to it. So hi, everybody. Welcome back. Uh, This is Paulina from Madness to Magic. Um, I'm with Crazy, uh, a love story. And today I am sincerely with someone that I truly love and who uh, has really made such a difference in my life and in so many other people's lives. Um, Her name is Lynn Drost. She uh, is a, a, technically you're called a clinical therapist. I've never, (laughs) I always call her my shrink. That's what I'm a I call licensed it. clinical professional counselor. <laughs> licensed clinical professional counselor, um, mm-hmm. uh, aka God to me, little G. But um, <laughs> but Lynn is here. Um, thank you for joining me on this it's podcast. It's a pleasure. It's a thank pleasure you. to be here. Um, so, Lynn is. You know, I apologize to listeners because I'm a bit tongue-tied because she's so important that I'm like, okay, what? What's the right question to ask her? Which is so funny after what we and were talking about. Knows there's no right. There question. is no right question, right? <laughs> so, um, so for those of you who don't know, um, uh, there was a point in my life, and I believe I was my my father died when I was 24, and my mother had schizophrenia. You all know that. Um, when he died my world just came crashing down. Two years after he died, uh, I ended up having to commit my little sister um, because she too was diagnosed as a paranoid schizophrenic uh, and I felt trapped. And so I went on for years um, really keeping that stuff down inside, eating myself to death while I was doing it. On the outside, I was a professional. I uh, succeeded in the workplace. Nobody really would have known that much was going on on the outside. Um, Most of my friends hadn't a clue what was really kind of happening. Um, I had gotten to a point in my life where uh, I had just, I didn't see any longer a way out. And I thought to myself, I didn't want to, this sounds kind of, (laughs) this still sounds crazy when I say it. Mm -hmm. I thought to myself, not only do I want out for myself, but being the people pleaser that I was, how unfair (laughs) that I would take myself out and then what would happen to my mom and my sister. So I had this plan um, that I was taking all three of us out. And through a very uh, divine intervention um, of, a, of a mutual person um, that I, you know, I knew uh, peripherally um, who just happened to see something in me that got her to call Lynn to see me um, just put us on a path of, of 
really that saved my life, that kept me six feet above ground. Um, the one thing, and I'll stop talking. Everybody's like, hey, you have somebody important on. Why don't you keep talking? Um, the one thing I will say is I remember uh, coming to the door, being driven by um, uh, Margie, what was her name, being driven by Margie uh, to Lynn's um, office. It was late night and not really wanting to do it, but people pleaser. I promised Margie that I would. I had a TikTok clock, like, hey, I'm only going to give you 30 minutes. And then I got, I got, I got a plan here. I had to go. <laughs> and I remember you invited me to sit in. I remember you saying to me, um, so Margie says, you know, that something's going on, that, you know, you're having a tough time, you know. And I remember Lynn's voice sounded very, um, well, like it does now, like just very soothing, very like, like there were little angels, like all over the place. I, <laughs> I remember that, like listening to that voice and I, and then, and then those other voices in my head were like, you know what? She doesn't know what she's talking about. You don't need to tell this to somebody else. Just get out. Just get yourself out. Mm -hmm. And I, my response was, nothing's going on. Nothing's going on. Nothing's going on. And Lynn caught me off guard because her response to me was, okay, tell me about nothing. Do you remember that at all? <laughs> you probably don't. You're like, I talked to a million people. No. <laughs> You know, I, it's, what's amazing to me is this is the first time I've ever had this kind of feedback from a f former client. Um, what I remember is, I didn't know anybody drove you. I remember you came into my door. It was late at night. Mm -hmm. uh, you came into my door, you sat down. And what I, when you started telling me what was going on in your life, just a little bit, I was awestruck by what you were doing and what had happened to you just a little bit. And the fact that you were walking and talking and laughing, had a wonderful sense of humor, and was such a beautiful person. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's, That's the first time. No. <laughs> That's the first time that, I, and don't get me wrong, I'm sure you've said things like that, like all throughout like our, our decade plus together, but Every other time, it's been like in therapist patient mode, right, right. or client right. mode. And this is the first time that I've kind of like heard like that. That even even at my darkest, I there was still like something in there, like oh, some there was spark. Such a so, light in you. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you, you. You were working for the lighthouse, <laughs> I, I believe. No, I think when I first saw you, I was was I at the lighthouse or was I at the newspaper? I think I was still at the newspaper you when might I started. Have been. Yes, you might have I just been. I've been with you so long. Like I, yeah. I remember even when I like I think I know I'm getting ahead of myself, but um, but when you like divorced me, <laughs> like and then, no, Paulina, you don't need me anymore, kind of thing. Um, really, I was like, well, I can. Why don't you just move out to California with me? What's wrong with you? But okay, so that first time, and you are right. I do remember. When I, I remember looking down and like just rattling off stuff that was going on. Mm -hmm. And I remember looking up and I remember, I do remember the look on your face where it was one like, holy shit kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Like, okay. All right. So here's my question to you. Why? Because again, listeners don't know this, but um, <laughs> clearly I was in such a bunny hole mm -hmm. and you knew that, that you offered to see me. You, I don't know if you remember this, but you saw me like twice a week right. for months for no pay. Right. Who does that? Like, seriously, I, 
I have told more people that story and and people are they you're just you are unique and that's that's a sad statement right because of it is what you do considering right? we're in a helping profession yeah, right right and so I guess first off thank you you're um, seriously <laughs> uh, second um, what what made you think this person was worth doing that for worth taking a shot with instead of you know bye-bye you know call me when your insurance kind of kicks in or what made you do that um it's it's not the way i work <laughs> <laughs> she's not for free we're just saying that no the way i work is i see I see people and I see what they have conquered and I see that they're walking and talking and laughing and and functioning. And in your particular case, you weren't just down one bunny hole, you were down like four or five of them. And it was important to find your way out of those holes. And you couldn't do that in one hour a week. You needed more than that. Mm -hmm. And I was privileged to kind of lead the way out of those holes. Wow, not sure which one of us was privileged, but <laughs> pretty sure it was me. Well, thank you. Um, and then, so so throughout it, and I just want to toss out some of the things that mm -hmm. I remember because mm -hmm. I, I don't, we've never had this kind of conversation. No, we haven't. So, um, so, and I don't remember how many months, years it was into it. I have no idea. What I do remember <laughs> is the moment that for me, uh, it, everything just changed. I mean, the first time was the tell me about nothing where I was like, okay, wait, that's not nothing. Like in, even in my own head, right, my dialogue. But the second time was I was ranting and raving over I don't even know what. And I don't know, usually you were super calm and just a safe place and and this time, you kind of, you almost, I don't want to say you jumped out of your chair, but you almost like, you know, gave a little spring forward mm -hmm. and and you kind of put down your pad. She always had this yellow pad. Um, and, and you said, Paulina, when are you going to stop wishing for a better past? Because you're never going to get it. And I was just like, oh my God. You're right. And you, you, it's very difficult to, to stun me silent. <laughs> I was silent. I was like, do you remember that at all? Like saying that? Or? I remember you going over and over and over all the horrible things that had happened. And what I realized is that you needed to move forward. And the only way you can move forward is by letting go a little bit of what had happened and start looking as to what could happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was, that was game changer for me. So thank you again. Um, <laughs> and I also remember there was another time that, um, and I won't go over all the, the memories. That'll be in a book that we put out. <laughs> okay. But, uh, <laughs> but, um, but I also remember, so when, and you too had your father pass and he yes. was very important to you. Which again, allowed me to relate more to you because <laughs> oh, I had gone through that, that horror and that sadness. What's interesting, though, is you, I mean, you, it's not like I, I learned that from you early on. Like, mm -hmm. you know, it was, it was, what was very interesting about therapy for me was I was 
and, and it's comical because right now I have a, uh, an avatar that's me mm-hmm. and it's called Powerlina <laughs> and it has a little cape and, and people have said, you know, gosh, you're so powerful. You're so this, you're so that. And what was really difficult for me therapy wise were, were a couple of things. One, um, the fear that to tiptoe into this room meant I too was nuts or had the mm. genes right of right. mental illness. So there was all of that with it. And the second thing was I was supposed to be the strong one, yes. the one to take care of it all, In right? The family, right? Yes. That was your role. Yeah, totally. And to do this meant I couldn't handle it on my own. Um, and you didn't realize what courage it took and that it really meant you were strong. Walking in this, anybody who walks in my door has a lot of strength. It's not an easy thing to do. Why do you think it's not an easy thing to do? Why isn't it like going to the doctor to get, you know, a bone that's been broken, repaired? What, what's that all about? I think about? there's two things. I think, number one, we don't like to expose who we really are. We like to keep up the the game. We like to keep up the facade that we're powerful and cool and strong and we can do it all. Um, But I also think, uh, and this isn't an original idea either, um, I think that there is a certain stigma attached to any sort of mental illness, even if it just means you need help with a grieving process. There's a little stigma attached that you don't want to reach out and ask somebody. But mostly, I think it's you don't want to expose who you are. Mm-hmm. And that's sad because by exposing who we are, that allows our hearts to touch, mm-hmm. that allows us to really know each other mm-hmm. and to know that we're not alone in the world. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. And I, I speak from personal experience, plus mm-hmm. the people, my friends, <laughs> have benefited as well from mm-hmm. coming to you. If, if you do, just try and like come and talk to someone. Mm-hmm the world opens up for you and it is, it does, it totally not only opens up, but it does make you stronger and mm-hmm. you always feel like you have an ally. Like mm-hmm. I, I never ever, even after you yelled at me about, when are you gonna, <laughs> no, um, I never felt, I never felt anything other than safety here, no matter what I shared. And there were things that I shared that, you know, I, I have a dark side as well, right? Mm-hmm. That. I attribute to no one else but me. And and I was not made to feel evil or it, it was, it's, you know, if you find the right shrink, mm-hmm. right? Um, <clears throat> or whatever we were, <laughs> therapists, I'm like, shrink is the wrong. People are like, don't call them shrinks, but I love the name. I like shrink. shrink. <laughs> I do too. Okay, I'm glad it's you're fun. not offended. <laughs> I don't know today anymore what, what I offend fun. with what I say. But um, okay, what I was going to ask you was, um, oh, the other thing I was going to say that I do remember clearly, um, it was very difficult with my father and I uh, having lost him. And I remember um, there was an opportunity, there was a famous medium who was coming and there was an opportunity to get an audience with him. Mm-hmm. And I remember coming to you and just saying that I was thinking of doing this. And while you never, you know, you, you, every decision was mine, you know what I mean? Um, I valued your opinion. You never like poo-pooed. You never were like, yeah, yeah, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
but on this one, it was it was clever what you asked because you were like, well, um, what is it that you would want? You said something like, what is it that you would want to hear from your father? And and I said something like, uh, oh, that, you know, that he loved me, that I was on the right path, that I was doing. And you said something like, yeah, hasn't he already said that? Or or don't you already know that? Like, it was a it was a weird way the way you phrased it. And I was like, wait just a minute. I do know that. <laughs> I don't need somebody else to tell me that. And I, mm-hmm. I wonder how many people, especially in today's social society, how many people think that what somebody else thinks or says or is so much more important than themselves, right? And their own value Mm -hmm. and, and, and you working with them to help them see that, like, that's gotta be a core issue that. Well, and one of the parts of therapy, that's one of the most important parts is to get the, the client to understand that they do know it's inside of them. And so therapists often don't answer questions quite directly. They, they want to know how you feel about it because it's your life and it's your, it's your path that you're taking and the answers are inside of you. Mm-hmm. So any therapist that tells you how to live your life, mm-hmm. any therapist that's critical of what you are doing mm-hmm. or aren't doing, mm-hmm. isn't a real good therapist in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, the answers have to come from within the patient, not not from the therapist. Mm-hmm. I, I so to be honest, when I first started out, mm-hmm. I just wanted you to tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. Like I was literally like, "Are you fucking kidding me? I'm asking you, what should I do?" And yeah, it didn't come. Like you mean now, I have to do some yeah, work? Right. <laughs> Hindsight, twenty twenty, mm-hmm. it wouldn't have mattered if you had said to do something exactly. until I was ready, right? Until exactly. it was, yeah. Because I do remember when you were, there was a point when I had an opportunity to escape. Mm-hmm. And by escape, I mean move mm-hmm. to LA, which I had always kind of had in my mind. Not that I knew how I was gonna do it, but I just, I felt like I was to go. And I remember when that opportunity came and I told you about it. And there were all sorts of complications because being in that caregiver role, I knew I knew I'd have to let that go, right? And while part of me rejoiced in that possibility, the other part of me knew that they wouldn't be cared for as well if I wasn't here, mm-hmm. right? And I just, that was, the, that was maybe one of the few times that you, again, were like, go, <laughs> go now. You, you just, and you made it, I don't know, you made it okay mm-hmm. to put myself first. Mm-hmm. And that's a tough thing too for caregivers. And this this whole podcast, those listening, they're not the ones necessarily with a diagnosed mental illness, right? Mm-hmm. They're probably struggling with some of it themselves, but partly they're struggling with it because they are caregivers to people who really are at risk or in jeopardy. Absolutely. So, right. yeah. And I think I I think that it is, it is a huge issue that is swept under the rug of services for the caregiver. 
Absolutely. And there's a lot in the literature now about that, um, about burnout in caregivers, mm -hmm. they call it, mm -hmm. and how caregivers don't take care of themselves. Mm -hmm. Instead, they take care of everybody else, mm -hmm. and they have no life mm -hmm. other than being a caregiver. Mm -hmm. And in part, I think it's a false sense of ego mm -hmm. that you said nobody else could do it as well as you could. Mm -hmm. And while I would agree with that, because mm -hmm. I know you and I know how, what a good job you did do, I would also say that you have to live your own life mm -hmm. and that everybody who loved you would want you to do that. In fact, when you said, I, I, I forgot that I actually told you you had to go, yeah. but I'm surprised I wasn't jumping up and down with pom-poms <laughs> cheering you on and getting a plane ticket for you because it just seems so important that yeah. you get away yeah. and it was the best decision mm. you made. It was the best decision. But I mean, scary. And you did it well in that you put the right pieces in place right. so that you mm -hmm. could go and right. people were safe. Right, right. Well, you know what was interesting? I mean, at that time, my sister needed a place to live. Like, it, it, that piece, like, mm -hmm. presented itself. Mm -hmm. And then, because I didn't know anybody out there, I didn't have, you know what I mean, anybody or where to stay. Right. Mm -hmm. It just materialized a person to live with them for free mm -hmm. as a caregiver, uh, weirdly <laughs> enough, right? Perfect. Um, right. So that worked out. What I, what I remember, too, um, and I'll share it here just because it's kind of a tie-in, when I was out there, um, there were, like, nothing that I thought was going to happen happened, right? Um, and at one point, I, I just, I was like, what, what the fuck? Like, what, what happened? You know, this is not my life. Like, I, I, at least that I knew and I was good at and I felt value and purpose, right? Mm -hmm. And of all the strange things, I called home. And while normally I would have talked to my father, he was dead. Mm -hmm. And I talked to my mother. And I had forgotten that my mother left Sicily, not knowing anyone other than her brother who forced her to come, right? right. Yeah. She had lost her parents. She came to America, I mean, granted, because she was a seamstress and she mm -hmm. had like a, a job or a um, with Poochie, but she came and she hated, she, she said on the phone to me, oh, Paola, you know, when I came to America, I hated everything. I remember sitting in the window of our apartment and we had no furniture, no nothing. And all I could think was, this is what I came here for? What? And she said, but it's just the first little bit. And then little by little, you know, and she, I was so surprised. Isn't that remarkable that yeah. those words came from your mother? From my mother. She didn't say, come on back. Right. She didn't say, I, that really like opened my eyes of, it's my um, assumption mm -hmm. of what someone else may want for me, right? Or, or, their, or, or what I perceive as their own selfishness, right? And it's like you, what you said, there's a, a perceived like like it's ego. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. and here, I don't know. Just out of a fluke that that happened. That really that surprised me. And I I feel like more and more caregivers, if they had like open conversations with the people they're giving care to, 
maybe those those people I can't imagine love being cared for hand for right like well, in your case, especially with your mom mm -hmm. and what she experienced in her life, mm -hmm. um, you actually gave her a gift by mm -hmm. flying on your own. Hmm. It was as though she, everything she had wanted to do, hmm. you could do. Hmm. So that she gave you not only her permission, mm -hmm. but she gave you her stamp of approval that hmm. you were doing exactly the right thing. Hmm. And then she was being sympathetic and comforting. I didn't know that. That's yeah. wonderful. <laughs> yeah, it was it was pretty fascinating. And then and then a, a second um, I call them magical now. I'm trying to get away from weird, you know, or like, woo -hoo. <laughs> but um, but then I had uh, written a screenplay. Mm -hmm. It got noticed. It won an award. It was going to be um, made by USA Network back then. I don't even know if they're on still, but um. But then 9-11 hit, like just a bunch of stuff happened. Mm -hmm. And I remember, again, thinking, are you, are you fucked? Like I, every little climb and then you get knocked down, right? Mm -hmm. And I was on my way back um, for a visit to Chicago. And I, and I was thinking to myself, I think I, I should just go home now. Because I had been here a while, do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. and, and my limit with my sister was coming up, right? She had a deadline mm -hmm. of when I needed to come back. Mm -hmm. And I was on that plane and, uh, and my seat was near an elderly gentleman, an elderly woman, and their uh, clearly disabled daughter. And I sat next to the old man and I started listening and they were speaking uh, Sicilian. And I kind of turned and I just started talking the little Sicilian that I do remember because we were taught Italian. Uh -huh. And then I started speaking Italian. He knew Italian. And we just kind of shared what he was doing, what I was doing. And he said to me, um, I told him that I was thinking I should just, you know, I didn't know what I was doing anymore and whatever. And his response to me was, um, you know, so, you know, it was so my father. He was like, so, you know, go, you know, don't go back home yet. You know, keep trying, keep trying, you know, look at it, you know, have fun with it, et cetera. And if it doesn't happen, you always have home that you could go to, right? Mm -hmm. But the strangest part was we're, we're getting off the plane and uh, he takes out of, his, out of his pocket this prayer card. Now, my father, every, every morning, would pray to this saint that's pretty obscure, Padre Leopoldo, I think his name was, or Padre, yeah, Padre Leopoldo Pio or something. I don't know. He had the stigmata and stuff. Mm -hmm. And this old man pulled out the very same prayer card. Oh my goodness. And said, you take this, you keep this with you. And it was really, really weird. So could anyway. there have been a, be a, be a bigger <laughs> message? <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. So, so anyway, um, enough about me and my magic. So, all right. So Lynn, so I am going to ask you this question because A, being a people pleaser, being a caregiver, being the one who, you know, why can't I get it already? Mm -hmm. Being in therapy for what was over a decade, wow. <laughs> whether yeah. or not you <laughs> really, right. yeah. yeah. <laughs> At any point, or you like, you, this kid is never going to get it. I, just, you know what I mean? Do you ever think to yourself, and, I, and maybe it's a terrible question to ask, but do you ever think to yourself, this hopeless case. This ain't going to happen. 
Uh, certainly not with you. I okay. never felt that way. <laughs> with you, it was like you were bringing me on the journey, and it was so much fun. And you, you never, you were never down the rabbit hole so far that you you lost your your humor and your excitement and your joy ever. Mm. Uh, you might mm. have been away from therapy, but during therapy, you were always. Um, mm really energetic and anxious mm -hmm. to move ahead. Mm -hmm. um, there are, and I think every therapist would agree with this, there are certain people that you can't work with. Mm -hmm. um, there's one or two types of people that I have a difficult time working with, mm -hmm. but I usually know that after three or four sessions. Mm -hmm. And it's not that I'm frustrated with them, I just know that with their particular problem, I can't work with them, mm -hmm. and so then I refer them to somebody else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but I've never had that with a long-term client. Um, again, I, I see the resiliency. It, mm -hmm. it lifts me up. Mm -hmm. I, I see their struggle, and then I see them come through it, and it makes me feel as though if they can do it, I can do it, mm -hmm. and everybody <laughs> else can do it too. Hmm. Wow. Wow, that that boosted me up as well. So, and, okay, and sorry, but one more question that I'm thinking about here. So uh, when I became a caregiver, um, I, it was around the age of 10. And I, I now um, am a CASA, court-appointed special advocate. I've seen that. Yeah. That's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. You know what? It's, uh, it's teaching me a heck of a lot um, from from certain words that are in today and, and <laughs> right. I should be Some saying, right, right. <laughs> music that I ought to know by now um, <laughs> to, uh, to don't drive too slowly in the middle of the projects because they'll think you're a drive-by. Um, yeah, she is, she's wicked smart. She, um, she struggles because mm -hmm. she is uh, hovering or, or she's, she's, she's balancing having been an adult because she had to be caregiver, right, mm -hmm. to siblings and stuff, with then the child, right, and following the rules, even though the rules don't make that much sense, mm -hmm. right? So it is, it's a, a huge challenge for this kid. And part of my kind of focus has been on like caregiver kids mm -hmm. um, because, and we've kind of talked about this before, kids who have to become the caregivers, mm -hmm. they're in a really terrible spot. They lose their childhood, basically. Mm -hmm. Right. And if they come to you mm -hmm. and say something, I believe you had said that the laws are still that you have to get the parent's permission to even continue therapy. Is that true or is that like... Uh, the parents have the right to say yes or no. And the parents also usually are the ones who are paying the bills. And so anytime you're working with a child, you walk a tightrope between pleasing the parent and taking good care of the child. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's not the same thing. Right. So it is difficult. Mm -hmm. And so for kids out there, mm -hmm. you know, specifically kids who are caregivers and who are afraid to say something. I mean, I know when we were growing up, we knew that if we said something, right, we could end up in a place worse mm -hmm. than where we were. Our parents could be in trouble, right? Exactly. And yet there were times where we just wished like somebody would blow the whistle, mm -hmm. right? 
So for kids, what's what words of wisdom do you have for them? What's what should they really do if they find themselves in this boat? Well, and are you are you talking about a situation that could be dangerous to them physically? Well, well, you know what? Yes, but but a kid doesn't really even realize that and it's their parent, right? So like my my Casa kid, um, not to divulge much, but this parent, well, I won't even talk about hers. My own father, who I adored, mm-hmm. once lost his temper to a level that I ended up almost dead. Mm-hmm. Um, never touched me again, but would I have turned him in? No. Do you know what I'm saying? And so it's like, but where do you go when, yeah, maybe you could be hurt, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But but all you want is somebody to listen to you, mm-hmm. somebody to help you, but not necessarily like report you. Is that even possible? And I get you're trying to to keep the kids safe, right? So you have to use your yeah. best judgment. Yeah, and, and it is, it's a real huge judgment call because exactly what you're saying is right. Um, a child walks in this room, and by child, anybody under the age of 18. Um, and if they are, in fact, being severely abused, it's you, you're mandated by law to mm-hmm. report that. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> there's a lot of gray area, mm-hmm. and you have to, as a counsel, you have to assess the situation mm-hmm. and determine was this a one-time thing? Mm-hmm. Does a child have broken bones? Does a child have bruises? Mm-hmm. Um, is this happening every single time they come in? Mm-hmm. Um, how is it presented? Is mm-hmm. it presented that the child wants to get out of the house? Mm-hmm. And oddly enough, most kids will tell you, I got to get away from here. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also tell by their demeanor and mm-hmm. how they're they're, if they're sitting in the corner, they won't talk, they won't do anything, and they've got black and blue marks all over them. Clearly, mm-hmm. that needs intervention mm-hmm. more than uh, an hour of psychotherapy right. week can be. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, in your particular case, um, number one, I wouldn't have found out about that no. until you were a right. grown-up. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so we were cool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, had you come in at the age of, say, 12 or mm-hmm. 13 mm-hmm. and said that to me, mm-hmm. we would have talked about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's how I would approach a child. I would mm-hmm. talk to them about it mm-hmm. and ask them, you know, what you need me to do for you. Right. Mm-hmm. And if they tell me I need a safe place, mm-hmm. I just need, I need you to talk me through this. Mm-hmm and I need to know what I can do, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, then we would talk about that. Okay. Would right. I call DCFS right away? Yeah. No, as a matter of fact, I've made calls to DCFS, mm-hmm. um, and what they'll tell me is uh, they're overworked. <laughs> yeah, they are. They're busy, right. and they can't report, they can't send somebody yes. out to investigate every case. Right. So you have to be pretty well documented right. and pretty sure that this is a severe case where the child could be permanently injured right. or even killed right. before. And that, at that point, you call the police. Right, right. Okay. You know what? It, you don't know what you don't know, right? Mm-hmm. And, and what, has, what I have found 
fascinating is when caregiver me mm -hmm. was looking for something to give back, right? Mm -hmm. And I took on this CASA thing. What is fascinating is I walked in sort of, um, uh, this is terrible. This is the ego again. Walked in sort of like, well, I'm going to be this white, this kid's white knight. And, you know, I'm going to watch it. And I have sat through more court cases of families, not just hers. I have seen things that have had me scratching my head, but also have had me realizing it is, there is no black and white. No. And no. And uh, and there's there's like you said, you everybody's even taxed. Even the caseworker who I work with most closely, um, she's killing herself. And this mm -hmm. is one of like thirty five cases she has. You know, right. I only have this one kid, and she's killing me. <laughs> so it, I say that lovingly. But um, but yeah, I. Well, okay. But, but what you, your, your question was, what, yes. what is a kid supposed to do? What is a kid supposed to do? And is a kid supposed to be afraid that they tell their counselor right. that their dad is hitting them right. or their right. mom is hitting them? Right. Um, will they be right away taken out of the home? Right. And most children, that's the last thing they want to have happen right. to them. Right. Um, so there again, that's a gray area mm -hmm. where the the therapist really has to assess the risk mm -hmm. to the to the. Uh, kid and mm -hmm. see just how bad it really is. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, it's not long ago mm -hmm. that parents did spank their children, mm -hmm, sure. um, lock them in their room for a mm -hmm. night, okay. uh, did things like that that we would now consider to be abusive, mm -hmm. but it in fact did not kill the kids. Right. Um, so you have to kind of balance it out. Right. That's and a good point, actually. And for somebody who's working with a child like that, mm -hmm. the other thing we do as, as therapists, mm -hmm. and certainly as somebody who's working with a child as you are, mm -hmm. is you seek supervision so that you you spread the risk. Mm -hmm. You talk to somebody else about it mm -hmm. and see what their um, thoughts are mm. and their advice is. That's a good point. So that you have documentation that you've done that right. and you have another opinion on it. That's That's a really good point. Yeah. Why go things alone? I mean, exactly. you know, really, right? Yeah. So, okay. So for this podcast, because as much as I could talk to you forever, um, <laughs> and I'm sure our listeners are like, no, Dr. Amore. Um, uh, so any kind of um, words that you might want to share with a listening audience that is primarily caregivers of others who have some mental illness or mental health issues, um, that you just might want to put out there for them, you know, food for thought kind of thing or last parting words? <laughs> um, well, first of all, your angels, people who are <laughs> working with other people, taking care of them, whether you're taking care of older people or younger people or in between people, um, your angels. And it's a hard, hard thing. And the most important thing, and anybody will tell you this, is to take care of yourself first. Uh, to seek outside counsel, to seek um, spa days, to have a glass of wine once in a while, maybe. <laughs> um, Got to, that covered. Yeah. <laughs> to take care of yourself, mm -hmm. because if you don't, you will, um, they call it now compassion fatigue rather than burnout. <clears throat> so you will have compassion fatigue and not be able to function as well as you should be. Mm -hmm. So as a caregiver of anybody, you need to take care of yourself and realize that that's actually taking care of the other person. Mm -hmm. Wow. 
Very, very true. I never heard of that compassion, compassion fatigue. fatigue. Mm -hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Well, lady, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, this won't be the only time, I hope. <laughs> but, um, it's but a pleasure. You are just, you are an angel. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. And I, I wish that everyone listening who needed their own Lynn had their own Lynn. So figure out how to clone yourself <laughs> or um, or maybe somewhere in this podcast we will post where Lynn is, her <laughs> office, um, if you are in uh, in the Illinois area. Um, but, uh, but anyway, but with that, uh, anyone who has, uh, this podcast has resonated with them, um, who has comments to share or your own story to share, um, please do so um, below. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Thanks so much. And until we meet again, bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening to Madness to Magic and my podcast, I'm with Crazy, a love story. I believe we're all here for a purpose, and I know that this is part of mine. Please share this with anyone you think might benefit or might even have a story of their own to share. You also can visit me at madnesstomagic.com or check out more of my stories, including info on my book, The S Word, at paulinamilanawrites.com. I hope to hear from you and to join forces with what I consider a unique caregiver tribe as we all learn to embrace all of ourselves, to have compassion for others, and to come into our full power by the grace that is both madness and magic. Until we meet again, I'll leave you with one of my favorite mantras. Be bold and mighty forces shall come to your aid. Thank you.